Tommy, that's one of my favorite post-resurrection stories as well, along with the one in John's gospel about Jesus meeting the disciples uh, on the Sea of Galilee after they'd fished all night and got skunked. And uh, so uh, thank you for sharing that with us. And I appreciate your assisting us in this service this morning. On my first volunteer and missions trip uh, a number of years ago, we were renovating the bishop's cabin, if all of all things, at the Mount Sequoia Retreat Center outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Now, Mount Sequoia is to the south central jurisdiction uh, what Lake Junaluska is to the southeast jurisdiction. So, you know, it's our primary uh, retreat center and whatever. But each morning before we'd go to work and each evening, excuse me, after supper, we would enter into devotional moments, time to reflect upon the scriptures, upon our faith, and upon the task we had attempted to complete that day. And among the other things that we did in the evening, uh, Wybra Price, the group leader, would ask us all, where did you meet Or where did you see Jesus today? The answers that were shared, we came to see that sometimes we can meet Jesus in some very interesting and unexpected places. In some interesting and perhaps unexpected people. A lady by the name of Betsy had uh, related such an experience It had been the worst night of her life. Her husband was in critical condition at the local hospital, and she had spent all night at his bedside, hoping, praying for some sign that he had turned a corner. But as morning approached, there was no apparent sign of improvement. Needing to freshen up and get some much-needed rest, Betsy decided she would head home for a while, only to leave the hospital to face a cold, gray, windy morning. One of those days that is not exactly designed to lift one's spirits. Well, as she lowered her head, as we as want to do uh, in such conditions, and running across the parking lot to her car, she accidentally bumped into a person that she did not see before they met. And Betsy muttered apologies, as most of us would do in such a situation, and then hurried on toward her car. But she stopped when she heard her name being called. And she looked up to see a dear friend of hers whom she had not seen in quite some time. The ladies embraced and then they sat in Betsy's car for a while and engaged in a conversation that it turns out both of them desperately needed. The two old friends related the reasons why they were there at the hospital And each of them took comfort and love in the care of the other. And soon, in spite of the burdens that they were carrying, these ladies found themselves laughing over old times and fond memories 
which considerably improved their outlooks, if not the situations that they faced. Betsy continued to be concerned about the health of her husband, who still was critically ill. That day was just as miserable, just as wet, windy, raw, and cold as it ever was. But at least now she felt that she could face the rest of what that day might bring. And that made all the difference in the world to her. A chance, let's put that in quotes, a chance encounter and the blessings which came from it are what our reading from St. Luke were all about this morning. Cleopas and his unnamed friend were on their way home after the celebration of the Passover in Jerusalem. But instead of being the joyous occasion that they had anticipated, that they looked forward to, that feast was for them an unmitigated disaster. You see, they were followers of this young prophet rabbi from Galilee. And they had come to believe that he just might be the longed-for Messiah. But a few days before, a few days before, he had been betrayed, arrested, and tried, convicted in a kangaroo court, and executed on a cruel Roman cross, as our choir sung about just a moment ago. And now all of their hopes and their dreams and their expectations lay in shambles at their feet. Well, as they bemoaned these things on their way back to their hometown, they were joined by another traveler who appeared to be headed in the same direction. And he had seemingly overheard at least a portion of their conversation and he intruded into their lament to ask specific questions about what they were discussing. And they looked at him. What? Are you the only guy in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know of the things that went on there this week? What things he wanted to know. And so they told him about the events of what we now, at least in retrospect, call Holy Week. Wasn't exactly that for them, I assure you. It was awful, one of them said. And we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And they went on to tell their newly arrived companion that they had heard some of the other disciples talking about having gone to the tomb of Jesus earlier that morning and found it empty. What's that all about, they wanted to know. And so for them, it was just another fanciful tale with no bearing on their lives whatsoever. Well, 
Like a good pastoral counselor, this stranger listened with interest as they told their story of pain and frustration. And apparently in the process of them relating that story, he would ask them questions which allowed them to get their pain and frustration, you know, kind of out there where they could view it uh, and get some perspective, get a hold on it, uh, deal with it. Along the, t- along the way in this conversation, he apparently would uh, add helpful insights and information talking about what, uh, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures had to say about the Messiah. And in so doing, he offered them a new perspective on how to view their lives, their faith, and the events that had transpired in Jerusalem in the days just past. And so apparently by the time they reached home later that evening, they were at least somewhat different people. Their hearts were alive with new energy, with enthusiasm, with a, with a sense of hope and faith and purpose that they had not been feeling before. They invited this stranger, of course we know it was Jesus, they invited him to stay for supper and when they sat down to eat, they realized that this guy was no stranger at all. Why, it was Jesus. Immediately they apparently jumped up from the table And Chris, I can't imagine doing this, but they ran all the way back to the city of Jerusalem to tell the disciples what they had seen and what they had experienced. Only to have the disciples to say, yeah, we know. We had a similar experience just a little while ago. Reflecting on this story and kind of sharing one of the reasons that it's so beloved to me. If we're honest, we admit that our lives are not unlike that of those two disciples trudging back home to Emmaus that first Easter evening. Many of us, many of us are faced with serious problems and tragic disappointments in our lives. And all of us, All of us encounter frustrations and doubt and fear and pain that can at times all but paralyze us. We don't know what to think. We don't know what to do. Why is all of this happening? We've been told. We've been told, haven't we? of the power of faith, of God's ability to help us not only to endure, but to overcome, to triumph over life's pitfalls. But like those two weary travelers on that Sunday afternoon so long ago and so far away, to our dulled minds it often seems like A tale, what Shakespeare said, tale told by idiots, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. 
seems like, well, doesn't it sometimes seem like it's somebody else's story? It's not our own. So I think there comes a time, again, if we're honest with ourselves, when we've got to ask, well, just what do these events on the outskirts of Jerusalem in 29 AD, give or take, what do these things have to do with the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs of our own daily lives? Barebone basics. We're forced sometimes to ask, does the resurrection of Jesus impact me? Where I work and where I play, where I live and where I, I love where I spend my hard-earned money, where I make the decisions appropriate for me and, and for my family. And if it does have something to say to us here and now, where and how we are, then how? How does it speak to us? How does it encounter us? How does it allow us to pick up the pieces, if you would, And to move forward. What do the teachings and the life experiences of a carpenter turned teacher long ago and far away have to do with me right here, right now, today, in the situations and circumstances in which I find myself embroiled? A while back, the Ministerial Alliance in a certain town was planning a big celebration of evangelism for their entire community. And during one of those pre-meetings that such an event always has to have, a pastor began to address his colleagues in the steering committee. Despite our happy talk, he began, I have in my congregation a 30-year-old man who has been diagnosed with cancer. It's terminal. And he said, just before I came here, a couple with whom I have been counseling for over two years informed me that they were giving up the struggle And we're filing for divorce. Then he said, five young men in my church are over in the Middle East right now, fighting a war they really don't understand against an enemy that they often can't see. And he said, one of those happens to be my own son. Now he concluded, I hope by the end of this conference, I'll be celebrating with you. He said, but if you think I'm celebrating now, excuse, excuse me, if you think I'm celebrating now, you're dead wrong. This frustrated pastor was reminding his colleagues 
that none of the great issues of life or faith really amount to very much if they don't touch the fear and the frustration, the tragedy and the pain that all of us face. To me, faith is irrelevant unless it enhances somehow the few hopes and dreams and positive expectations that we manage to gather and to garner and to salvage along the way of our lives. With all of its pomp and pageantry, Easter is little more than just a great story unless and until it actually touches us where we are. Again, right here, right now, in this place, in our homes, our schools, our places of business today. Much of faith, much of the Bible is, well, it's a mystery. That's a great word. It's a mystery. And exactly how those two men in Emmaus so long ago got from utter despair to absolute joy, we're still not quite sure. The Bible says it happened. doesn't say how. But one thing I think is certain, and that somehow, some way, they had an up-close and personal encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And in those moments, when they realized what had happened, when they realized who had happened to them, then everything began to change for them. The world, the world was the same. The world hadn't changed. But they had. They were different. You know, here on the second Sunday after Easter, I invite you to think about it this way. Where we are right here, right now, 2,000 years and 7,000 miles removed from uh, the outskirts of Jerusalem on that first Easter Sunday morning, it really doesn't matter what happened or not. In Joseph of Arimathea's sepulcher, it doesn't matter at least if we, if you and I, don't feel our own lives changed by the one who had been buried there. It doesn't matter what those first disciples experienced, either there at that tomb on that first Easter morning or in the upper room or along the road to Emmaus later that evening or along the shores of the Sea of Galilee some days after that. It doesn't matter if we haven't experienced the presence and the power of Easter touching our own lives and uh, making a difference on how we live and how we approach life. Those faithful ones in the late first century church 
who actually wrote and started the process of passing along these stories to us at this late hour and uh, far away place from them. They hadn't been to the empty tomb on Easter morning. They had not been in the upper room on that first Easter evening or a week later when, as Bill preached about last week, Thomas was there and began to experience the resurrection for himself. They hadn't been out with Peter that night fishing on the Sea of Galilee and as dawn broke the next morning saw him there on the shores cooking their breakfast for them. Nor were they on the Mount of Olives as Jesus blessed them, them, commanded them, and then was taken from their sight. No, these folk in the early church, they were just ordinary folks trying to make the best they could of a life that was difficult and harsh and made even more so by the fact that they were Christians and not Jews or Romans or any of those other accepted groups in that day and time. But they chose in faith and in hope to pass this story and others like it along to us. Not that they had a great sense that we would be here uh, 2,000 years and so far away later. This story told them that Jesus had come, that Jesus had risen, not just for them, but he had come to them. And they knew that Jesus walked the difficult roads of their lives. And like those two on the road to Emmaus, it made all the difference in the world. You know, it's, it's been said that wherever on the road of life we meet Jesus, however hope and faith are revealed to us, in that time and in that place, we are on the road to Emmaus. Maybe here in the church, during times of prayer, devotion, worship, singing a hymn, Maybe even listening to a sermon. It may be at the family table or visiting a loved one in the hospital or a nursing home. It might be on a medical or some other mission to an impoverished nation or serving a meal to the hungry or building a house for the homeless. Sometimes we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus when we reach beyond ourselves to work for peace and reconciliation within our families, within the church, within our community, the world at large. Those times when we welcome the stranger or teach the children when we try to guide the wayward youth or whisper a word of encouragement for those in need and in doubt. I found, maybe you have too, 
I have found that the road to Emmaus and the one who walked that road with those disciples has a way of sneaking up on us in, in ways that we don't expect, that we don't always understand. And so I've come to believe that Emmaus, the road there too, may not be so much where we meet God, but where God meets us. Where the Spirit penetrates our inner being, where our faith in Jesus enables us to see the world and our lives and life in general in a new way. The road to Emmaus and he who walked it assures us that life is stronger than death, that love is more important than hate, and that tomorrow can be, can be brighter than today. So I ask you, as Weiber Price did to us on that mission so long ago, where have you seen Jesus today? But you know, maybe, maybe a, a, a more important question is this. Have I allowed anyone else to see Jesus in me today? Go in peace down your road to Emmaus. And may the risen Christ go with you. Amen.